0: Last week we talked about personal worship. Today I want to talk to you about corporate worship and, and what this setting when we come together looks like and uh, maybe how, how what this should look like. Uh, and then next week we are uh, doing a special service on Labor Day weekend where there'll be no preaching. Hey, see, I was, I was hoping, I was allowing just a little bit of silence so that there wouldn't be an amen. But uh, anyway, there'll be no preaching, no message. Um, uh, but that doesn't mean that the word of God won't be central to our experience. We, we have a commitment here uh, to always make sure that the word of God is central to our experience. And, and most of the time that comes in the form of a, of a sermon. Uh, but, but next week we're going to be, uh, you guys are going to be embarking on a really special worship experience where we're going to incorporate some of these corporate expressions of worship, some of the personal expressions of worship inside of a corporate setting. There's gonna be lots of music, uh, prayer and reflection and I encourage you to be a part of it. Uh, it'll be something probably different from what you've uh, experienced, but not so different that you'll leave thinking what in the world was that, okay? So there'll be some familiar things and uh, we hope that you'll uh, be a part of that. So I wanna invite you back next week, but I wanna recap where we've been so far. Uh, and we, we decided that we needed to really define what worship is if we're going to try to understand it uh, over the course of the next few weeks and so we we started by saying worship is ascribing worth and giving allegiance And that is to say that that all of us are engaged in worship in our lives. We all worship something or someone. Inherent to what it means to be human is to worship. If you were to go back into history, as far as the history books can take you, something that has been part of every culture, every people group all around the world for all time is some sort of practice of worship. And so all of us are engaged in worship. And worship then is seeing the worth of something, ascribing worth, and then because of that things or that person's worth, then giving us, then giving our allegiance. And of course, as as Christians and as the the people of God, what we need to do then is to be careful that our worship is being directed toward God, that we see the worth of God, that we see God for who he is. And, And I have a very strong conviction that if we will see God for who he really is, we can't help but then to offer our allegiance to him. And I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey today. I don't know if you're here and you've been following Jesus for many years. I don't know if you're here and you're just like, this is your last, yes, you've decided to just give church one last chance today. Uh, So I don't know where you're at, but I believe that if we were to see God for who he really is, then we would want, we would desire to respond in worship and giving him our allegiance. And and part of our goal as we gather together every week is to help you see God for who he is. We sing songs about the character of God, uh, the acts of God, the, uh, the the motivation of God, of why would he do this thing, uh, die for us and be raised again. Uh, we, we, we want to sing about and proclaim and practice communion and prayer and all of these things so that you might see God clearly. And you'll see that he's good and that he's powerful and that he could be trusted. And so... Worship, then, is ascribing worth, seeing the worth of who God is, and then offering our allegiance. And, and that's a, a pretty simple definition. Uh, there's lots of ways to talk about worship, and there are, are definitions of worship that are paragraphs long. Uh, but to help us really get a handle on it, worship is ascribing worth and then giving our allegiance. And last week, I wanted to give you three tips on, on your personal worship and how to become a better personal worshiper. Because... Because there's an intimate connection between the, your personal worship and our corporate worship together. And the, what I said last week is that if, if you have worshiped personally throughout the week, uh, then we, when we come together corporately to worship... Having everything exactly aligned to your preference—that the music is the right style, the right volume, the preacher—you know—has three points, and they all start with the letter, same letter, and I get to fill in the blank. And and what are, whatever your preferences are, don't become as important if you have worshipped throughout the week and then brought your your personal worship and then to express that in a corporate setting. Uh, and so, in order to help you become better private worshipers or, or personal worshipers, I said that we first need to prioritize worship. Uh, And that is, I talked about that direction of our worship, that that we're all engaged in worship, but we need to prioritize and make sure that that nothing else is stealing our allegiance in our lives, that we need to make sure that our allegiance is going fully to God. So we need to prioritize worship. We need to develop a praise habit. Uh, That is to say that whatever is going on in your life, there is reason to give God praise. And I believe that some of you need to hear that today. I don't know what, exactly what you're going through, but, but man, we need to develop a praise habit. And the reason is this, because if we're going through a really rough time in our lives, or if you're going through a really rough time in your life, and you can develop a habit of praise, of seeing God at work, what that does is it solidifies your allegiance to God. But what so often happens is that we go through a difficult time, we, we, we shake our fist of blame at God, and then we are tempted to shift our allegiance from God to something else. Whether that thing be, be the promise of wealth, the promise of power, the promise of, of affection through any number of, of false affections in our culture, whatever it is, if we, if we don't solidify our allegiance to God through praise, even in the hard times, then our heart is tempted to, to swift or to, to drift and sway and, and swift is what happens when you combine drift and sway swift so, so don't don't let your faith tailor swift away oh that was a groaner thank you for the groan um Okay, so we need to develop a praise habit. And then the highest form of worship is obedience. That the highest form of, obe- of, of worship is obedience. That if we really want to show God that we love him, uh, we need to obey him. And Jesus says in, in the Gospel of John, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. And so uh, not only do we need to develop a praise habit, but we need to develop an obedience habit. Uh, in our lives, that the, the highest form of worship is obedience, and, and so um, I want to talk to you a little bit more about this connection between personal worship and corporate worship. They are distinct, but they are connected, and they're connected because, as I've already said, if we have worshipped personally throughout the week, we'll be more able to worship corporately on Sunday. And, and I made the I made the comment last week that we if we are if we are depending on the corporate worship setting. To express our personal worship, then we will have a very difficult time worshiping in the corporate setting. Because regardless of what church you go to, nothing will ever be exactly to your liking. Nothing will ever be exactly as you prefer. And so we can't depend on the corporate setting to express our personal worship. And, and so they're distinct, but they're, they're connected. And then, so if we've worshiped personally, we can come to the corporate worship uh, and be ready. And then having worshiped with the community then, we are also much more motivated to go and offer our personal worship throughout the week. They need one another. Our personal worship and our corporate worship are dependent upon one another. Do you see that connection? We worship personally, corporate worship becomes easier. But then gathering together lifts us up Fills us up, encourages us and, and and solidifies our allegiance to God in our heart, so that when we go out into the workplace and we have that one coworker or that boss or that fellow student or that person in our neighborhood that just that just Hits us the wrong way, that we don't get along with, that we're in conflict with, we can then worship through that and allow God to speak to us and how to handle those relationships and all of those things. So they're, dis- they're-, they're very distinct, yet they're very, very connected, and that's the point that I want get to to get across. And so what we did last week is we looked at the life of David to understand personal worship. and what I want to do this week to understand corporate worship is I want to look to the heavens. I want to look to the heavens. And that's going to make some sense in a little bit. Uh, but uh, so today I want to talk about corporate worship or uh, the, the subtitle or an alternative title is tips for how to come to church. Tips for how to come to church. So I, I gave you some tips on improving your personal worship. And today I want to give you some tips on, uh, on how to come to church. And so to, to do this and what I mean by looking to the heavens is to understand corporate worship, I want to look at the book of Revelation. I want to look at the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles today, turn to Revelation chapter four. Uh, we'll be in chapter four and chapter five. And uh, if you have your smartphone or your tablet, um, if you have the, the Bible app that is published by Version, you can go to the live section of that app and uh, it should find your location and you'll be able to see the notes uh, that are right there and the scriptures are listed there as well uh, because we think it's okay to have your Bible on your phone. Amen. I still prefer pages, you know, like the the smell and the sound of the pages, even with real books, like books that I read. I don't read a lot of e-books. I like to read book books, real books, because I'm stuck in 1999. 1999. Why are we looking at Revelation? That's the question. Why, why are we in Revelation for a, a series on worship? Well, Revelation is a great book to understand worship because uh, Revelation is a letter uh, that is written to seven real churches that existed in real history, in, real spa- in the real space-time universe. Uh, and it was written to these seven churches in Asia Minor by a guy named, a guy named John while he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos. And uh, he, on, the, on this island, he receives a vision of many things, and he records his vision in, this, in graphic detail in this book. And it's, it's a book that we are um, often scared of as the church, and we don't like to uh, address because it is, um, it, it, it reads something like a, a uh, rated R uh, Hollywood movie, and uh, just has all these crazy images, and we just don't know what to do, the, do with these things. And uh, crazy images and crazy visions. Uh, in, in this book, you have... You have winged creatures that have eyes all over them. You have like bowls of judgment and seals of judgment and and uh, the, the trumpet blasts of judgment. You have all these symbols of judgment. And then you have this, this big dragon with seven heads and ten horns that wants to swallow a newborn baby. And that's just bizarre. And like I said, it's rated R. And then you have monsters like coming up out of the sea, uh, which, by the way, was the original inspiration uh, for the movie Pacific Rim. Uh, monsters coming up out of the sea. Did anybody see Pacific Rim? A couple of you, yeah. Yep, didn't catch that one, huh? Well, so what they decided, they made just a slight, slight narrative uh, change in Pacific Rim that rather than like the Messiah, the Christ, shedding his blood to find victory over the monsters out of the sea, they just, they just decided giant robots instead, instead of the Messiah. So just a slight narrative change there, but that's a joke. I didn't mean any of that, and, and Pacific you know, Rim wasn't based on Revelation. Okay, so, uh, so the book is written in apocalyptic style. I need, I need somebody to help me out today. Uh, the book is written in apocalyptic style, which means it deals with the future, but it is very concerned with the present, and that's something that we miss a lot when we come to the book of Revelation, is we think that it's only future-oriented stuff. And yes, it deals with the future, but, but apocalyptic books... An apocalyptic style of literature in the ancient world is very concerned also with the present and bringing a change of life in the present and what is going on in the present as well. So when we come to Revelation chapter 4 and 5, John receives a vision of worship that is going on in the heavenly realm. And that's why I said that to understand our corporate worship life together, I want to look To the heavens. We are going to get a picture of the worship that is happening right now in the heavenly realm. And it's given to us through a vision that John received in the book of Revelation. And I believe it's going to help us uh, on how to come to church. So before I read, I want to read all of chapter four. Uh, chapter four in its entirety, all of you are looking down like, how long is that chapter? Um, it's not that long. Uh, and then I want to reference uh, chapter five. I want to reference chapter five as well. But I decided that reading two full chapters uh, would, would um, you know, we just, in a, in a world of, of Twitter, we don't have the patience for that. But uh, here's, um, here's, in, here's a quote from N.T. Wright uh, regarding worship in the heavenly realms. He says, the great multitude in Revelation, and he's referencing the multitude uh, in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, and then also uh, in chapters 19. He says, the great multitude in Revelation, which no man can number, aren't playing cricket. Okay, He's, he's from England. So they're not playing cricket in heaven. They are worshiping. Does that sound boring? If so, it shows how impoverished our idea of worship has become. For worship is the central characteristic of the heavenly life, and that worship is focused on the God that we know, know, that we know in and as Jesus Christ. You see, when we when we think about our life in eternity, and uh, people say, "We're going to be worshiping all the time," how many of you can just be honest and be like, "Really"? Like I don't get to do anything else, <laughs> right? And N.T. Wright, I think, makes a great point that if if worship all the time sounds boring, then we have a very narrow view of what worship is and we have a very impoverished view of what worship is. And and so we need to expand our idea of worship and begin to understand uh, what that is and what that looks like. And so let's talk about our life together uh, corporately and what that looks like and tips for going to church. Here's Revelation chapter 4. Well, after this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice that I had heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said come on here and I will show you what must soon take place after this and at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it too often in our lives we try to sit on the throne of our lives and we need to know that in the heavenly realm there is a throne and someone is sitting on it in other words you're not in charge that's good news Because when I place myself in charge, I tend to mess things up. And so in the heavenly realms, the first thing we see is that there's a throne. And there is someone sitting on it. And it isn't me. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. And surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were twenty four elders, and they were dressed in white, and they had crowns of gold on their heads, and the throne and and from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne seven lamps were blazing, and there were seven spirits of God. And and also before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal, and in the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion and the second was like an ox. And the third had the face of a man and the fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. And then day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders who, uh, the twenty four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And then they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, you were created and have their being. I am so tempted to keep reading. Let's, uh, let's pick up chapter 5, verse 11. Chapter 5, verse 11. Well, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. That is the multitude that cannot be numbered and they're not playing cricket. Okay. And then they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they sang this. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And the word amen literally means so be it, so be it. And so when you hear in church, when the preacher declares uh, a truth or we sing a song that declares truth and someone says, amen, they're saying, so be it. It's like a way of saying, it is indeed true. And uh, it's just, a, it's, it's, like a, it's like an exclamation point behind the truth. So, so how do we, um, what are some tips for coming to church? Well, let's look again at Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Verses 8 through 11. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and covered with eyes all around and under their wings. And then day and night they would never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, then the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him. Uh, who lives forever and ever, they lay down their crowns before the Lord and and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they were created and have their being. The first thing, the, the first tip that I wanna share with you for how to come to church is when you come to church, I want you to focus on ascribing worth to God. Ascribing worth to God. That's the first tip. When you come to church, come with the intention and come ready to see the worth of God being revealed in the service. Let me say it to you this way. Worship is not about you you can find great benefit from it. In fact, last week I said that that worship isn't primarily for God's benefit, it's for ours because it's what it does in our heart and how it solidifies our allegiance and that our worship directed toward God, the primary beneficiary of that is ourselves. It's directed toward God, but we find great benefit. But it's too easy to make worship about us. In other words, when worship is about us, we've changed the direction. See, worship is, is healthy when it's directed toward God, and then we find the benefit from that. But worship is out of balance when we seek to, instead of directing it toward God, we make it all about us. What do we prefer? What's our preference? All this, all this, all this. Me, me, me. And it's, it's the sense of which are we worshiping the act of worship rather than actually worshiping God. Are we worshiping our preferences of worship rather than worshiping God? And what we see here is that all those who are in the heavenly realm and engaged in worship are not caught up in themselves, but are caught up in the glory of who God is and for, what, for all that he's worth. But it's so easy in the midst of worship to be caught up with ourselves, isn't it? How many of you, while we were singing, wondered, I don't want to sing too loud because the person next to me might hear me, right? And all of a sudden we're thinking about ourselves rather than being caught up in seeing the worth of God and who he is. And I'm not mad at you and I'm not putting you down. I certainly don't want you to leave here feeling guilty. I just want to give you some examples of what it means to direct worship toward us and make worship about us rather than just being caught up and who God is, and let me tell you: if we come to church ready to see God, I promise that you will see Him. If you come ready, if you come ready to ascribe worth to God, then you will see Him. So come ready to recognize and to celebrate the worth of God. And, and let me give you some some ideas on how to do that. The first thing is is to listen to the words that you are singing. Or not singing, but listen to the words that you're singing and really allow them to sink in and really allow them to sink in. If you do this, your posture will match the mood of the song. But what happens is, especially if we've heard a song a lot and if we're really familiar with, our, with a, a particular song, uh, or a particular scripture, or a particular prayer. Uh, it can happen with anything, but if once we become really familiar with something, we tend to remove ourselves from the meaning. And, and so if we're singing a song, how many of us are, are, are sort of like two or three degrees removed from what we're actually singing, and we're like, you know, we're here, and we may be bopping a little bit. You know, how great is our God. How great are the breadsticks at Olive Garden? You know, we're like, like, we're like all of a sudden, we're somewhere else, right? And so, aren't, aren't the breadsticks good at Olive Garden? I don't know. I mean, it may be, like, sacrilegious to put it to the song of a chorus, but you get the point. Like, like, if we come ready to really see God for who he is, You'll see him in the songs that we sing. And uh, how, how, many of you, how many of you were here the week that we sang this new song called Build Your Kingdom Here? And, and, and the good David Hamilton, who has been serving on the worship team of this church since before time began, was playing the bass guitar. I'm going to play my air guitar. The bass guitar and the bass kick at the same time. It would be like this. Okay, that's a banjo. Sorry, that's not a bass guitar. Got it mixed up. Okay, so how many of you were there that Sunday and you remember this? Come on, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Raise your hand proudly, okay? This, This was a whole new level for worship in the church. I mean, this was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, he's playing these two instruments at the same time. And this was one of the best church moments of my life. And, 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 like, and, and the congregation is clapping and we're singing this brand new song. And this song is all about like, asking God, God, set your church on fire, right? And God, builds your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And and it's like bluegrass, and we're clapping, and we're celebrating, and we're crying out to God. And David's playing two instruments at the same time, and it was awesome. That's what church should be like. Like, we should come together, and if we're, if we're singing a song of celebration, there ought to be some celebration. There ought to be some clapping. There ought to be some smiles. There ought to be some joy up in here. But so often we remove ourselves from the words, so we're like, Build your kingdom here. Set our hearts on fire. Right? And so what I'm saying is, if, we, if we'll connect to the words that we're singing and the song that we're singing, then all of a sudden our posture of our heart and the posture of our body will begin to match the mood of the song. And so if we're singing and celebrating and crying out to God, bluegrass style, then all of a sudden some of us are going like, we're matching the posture with the song. And if we're singing this really reflective song, like a few weeks ago when we sang, "Man, you know what, sometimes I just need a reason to sing. Because life is just really hard sometimes. Sometimes the pieces of my life are so shattered, I don't even know if I can gather them up off the floor. And so I need a reason to sing. If you were going like this during that song, something would be off. But instead, that's a somber song. And if we're connecting with that song and really listening to the words, then we'll know that the last line of that song, while all throughout it says, I need a reason to sing, the last line is, You are the reason I sing. And so all of a sudden, in this really reflective tone, we can still give God praise and offer our worship and say, God, in the midst of the the challenge and the mess and all that's going on in my life, you're still good. And I still trust you. And even in moments like that in worship, if we will come ready to see God, I promise you, church, you'll see him. So, second thing, well, not second tip, but second part of the first tip is communion. Every every service at at our church, we end with communion. And and sometimes we do a full liturgy, probably not often enough. Uh, But every time we say, if you'd like to respond in this way, you're welcome to do so, for here's the body of Christ that has been broken for you and the blood of Christ that has been shed for you. And it preserves you blameless unto everlasting life. Have you ever heard those words like you were hearing them for the first time? Here's the body of Christ that was broken for you. And here's the blood of Christ that has been shed for you. And it preserves you blameless unto everlasting life. And, and, and I wonder, because we take communion every week, do we really use that time to focus on the worth of God in those moments? Or do we just come and do it and do it out of habit? Or do we not do it because doing it too often robs it of its meaning? And I just, I want to encourage us church to come to church ready and willing to focus on ascribing worth to God. And if we do that, There's no practice that we could do too often that would become just rote and habit and lose its meaning if we really came with hearts ready. In fact, I would argue, and we're not going to do this or implement this, but I would argue that if a church comes ready to worship, we could sing the same songs and we could hear the same sermon and we could do the same communion every week and every week leave filled up. Because the gospel story doesn't change. All that changes is the form it takes through the message. All that changes is the the form it takes in the music. The gospel never changes. And it's something that we can't too often remember. Are you with me? And then the sermon. If you come ready to ascribe worth to God and focus on who he is and see his character when you come to church... Then when the sermon comes, you won't think in your mind, oh, the worship is over. But instead, when the sermon comes, you'll lean forward, you'll listen closely, and you'll listen for God to be revealed. And it is my commitment to you as your preacher to every single week, regardless of what we're talking about, regardless of the shape that the gospel story takes, every single week, I'm going to do my best to reveal Jesus to you. And all you have to be doing is looking. And so that's my commitment to you. Every week is about Jesus. If that sounds boring, then to borrow the quote from N.T. Wright, it will show how impoverished our idea of Jesus has become. (laughs) Okay, so the first thing, tips for coming to church is focus on ascribing worth. Well, one more thing. You will find the most benefit from the gathering together of the community if you come to church with an easy amen versus an attitude that says, impress me. And I think sometimes we come to church with an attitude that says, go ahead, impress me. See if you can. Do a dance. Yell louder. Impress me. And that is a totally different attitude than the one that just says, just sort of has this easy amen. This easy amen. And uh, listen, the Lord has worked on me in my heart with this because there's a lot of worship gatherings that I go to where I'm not speaking. That it is difficult for me to have an easy amen. Uh, Where I'm like, oh man, there's music. come on. And I'm like, Set my heart on fire. And somebody let off the fire alarm, actually, because we need to get out of here. You know, like, I don't do that. Not that far. But listen, sometimes I struggle. (laughs) Some of you are like, whoa, that guy needs to see a counselor. Um, So, but listen, honestly, sometimes I struggle going to other worship gatherings with an easy amen. I am hard to bless sometimes. And, and and I just want to to cultivate this atmosphere where like like we're all just easy to bless, you know? Like like this happened, man. I was blessed. I was blessed, man. When the, when they did that, I was blessed. I, I want to be a church that is easy to bless. Are you with me? So let's come to church, easy with an easy amen, and ready to to focus on the worth of God and ascribe Him that worth in our allegiance. Look over to chapter five, uh, Revelation chapter five verses. 11 through 14, chapter five, verses 11 through 14, it says this, this is actually the passage I read. Well, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 upon 10,000. They encircled the throne of the living creatures and all the elders. And in a loud voice, they sang, worthy is a lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and All that is in them, singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory forever and ever. Here's the second thing that I want to encourage you to do when you come to church is go all out. Go all out. Go all out when you come to church. Uh, In Revelation chapter five, in these three verses, you hear these phrases. In a loud voice, they were saying, all that is in them. They were saying, and the elders fell down and worshiped. I mean, this is the picture of people being so caught up in the worth of God that they respond with a, with a response that is all that is in them. In other words, I cannot match my worship to the glory that I'm seeing. Now, of course, we're on this side of eternity, so this may not be possible to the degree that we see it in the heavenly realm. But I think we ought to practice for heaven, don't you? And and so... They, they, they cannot, if by offering all of themselves, there's no way that their worship can match the glory and the worth that they're seeing. And so they give all that they have in a loud voice, all that is in them. They fell down and they worshiped. And uh, a few years ago, the church started promoting this thing called casual worship. And it was a way of saying that you could come to church uh, as you are, uh, dressed as you are, which I think was a good move. Uh, but with it came this attitude that I could also just sort of like come and hang out and, uh, and then I just leave and it's like casual worship, baby, you know, what are you doing? I'm just going to church. ain't no big thing, you know, ain't no big thing. I'm just going to church, got my casual clothes on. I'm going to go, I'm just going to sit there. I'm going to take it all in and then I'm going to leave. It's going to be awesome. You want to come with me? You know, and it's like, it's like there was this huge move toward casual worship. Well, well let me tell you, I, I think it's good to come as you are and, and, uh, you know, wear whatever clothes you want as long as they're appropriate, and then uh and, and then you know, just like but 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 listen, there's no such thing as casual worship. You don't see these folks around the throne being like, "Yeah, God, thumbs up, baby, no way they they are going all out when we worship the Creator, God Almighty, we should go all out, and so Go with me here a little bit i 'm a pastor, so i 'm supposed to say stuff like this. But I have noticed that people tend to get pretty excited around here about football and like and they 're watching a football game and, and they are yelling at the referee through the TV as though the referee can hear. Are they called a referee in football or is it umpire or i 'm <laughs> real big sports fan here? All I do is eat potato chips and watch Sports Center. Okay, so I notice that people tend to get pretty excited about football around here. I also notice that people tend to get pretty excited about a video game, and and when things don't go right on the video game, they like throw their remote at the TV, and and uh, don't do that now because we play all of our video games on our little eye devices. So if you throw that at the TV, that's a problem. So. Um, you know, so people get really excited, and they, like, share their high score on Facebook. And it's like, man, I got, like, 6 million. I'm bejeweled. I'm awesome. You know, and, like, all this stuff. We get pretty excited about video games. I've also noticed that we get pretty excited about movies around here. And, you know, we, like, we, like go see a movie, and we, like, tell all our friends about it. And we go to a midnight showing, you know, and then we, then we like, update our status. I'm at the midnight showing for Despicable Me 2, man. I love the Minions. Ha, <laughs> ha, But them, you know, it's like all this stuff. Like, it's just like we're, like, so excited, you know, the Minions, man. Baby, I'm going to see the Minions in the theater. It's gonna be awesome. Just with me too. And then we come to church and we're like, duh, duh, duh. and we don't go all out. And, and listen, some of you are like, "Oh, he's trying to turn us into a charismatic church," you know? <laughs> like I was two claps in and I got slayed by the Spirit. No, listen, that's not it. Okay, we're not trying to turn you into a charismatic church. We're just trying. I'm just trying to encourage you on what worship is and actually what we see <laughs> and on what we see scripturally about worship. Okay, I need to hurry up. I'm having so much fun. Yeah. Okay. That's good. That's good. Weren't you the same guy that said no sermon next week amen okay so so then the bible the bible has all kinds of forms of worship right all kinds of forms so i'm not trying to push you into a certain corner like worship looks like this I'm not trying to do that because the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible has all these kinds of forms of worship where it's like a loud voice, singing, dancing, bowing, kneeling, all kinds of images and styles of worship. But they are always all out. You don't ever read someone worshiping God that was like, and then he like, you know, like, like offered half of himself in worship to God. And then he was like sort of excited, you know, and and then he was like, I surrender some. You know, like none of that. Like when we read worship in scripture, it's always, look at who God is. And so God, here I am, all of me, every bit of me. And the way that then plays out in the posture is sometimes people sang before the Lord. Sometimes people dance before the Lord. People were raising their hands, kneeling, bowing. You see, there's room in all out worship. For praise and reflection, but it's all worship. So whether we're singing like, build your kingdom here, or whether we're singing, reason to sing, or whether we're praying in prayer celebration, or whether the sermon is really serious or sometimes funny, it's all over the map, but it's all worship. And it's all expressions, expressions of worship. So I'm not trying to say, you know, this is what worship looks like. You know, I'm not trying to say that. I'm trying to say the Bible has all kinds of forms of worship, and we need to recognize that. And we need to always go all out. And I want to admit to you, it can be hard to come to church ready to go all out because the enemy doesn't want you to do that. Have you ever noticed that on Sunday morning the enemy like like spends the night in your car engine, and so like you get up on Sunday morning and your car doesn't run right or it has a flat tire. Or like the enemy plotted all night on how he could get you to fight with your roommates on Sunday morning or your spouse on Sunday morning. You're like driving to church and you're angry at your spouse, you're angry at your roommate, you've just had this huge fight and you walk in and, and, and you, you, your heart is not ready because the enemy doesn't want your heart to be ready to go all out. The enemy doesn't want you to see the worth of God and then subsequently go all out in worship. The enemy wants to keep your worship reserved reserved, and he wants to try to distract you. Um, But worship in the Bible is never reserved. Liturgy is a fancy word that we sometimes throw around in the church world, and uh, liturgy is a word that is used to describe the form of worship in a church. Sometimes churches that are often uh, have like um, Said prayers, or um, responses, or responsive readings, or they sing hymns, play the pipe organ, things like that. Those are often called liturgical. And so it's like in the church world, you you have these descriptive terms that are like this church is contemporary, you know, electric guitar, and then this this church is liturgical, pipe organ, you know. It's like so it's like oh, are, is your church? Contemporary or liturgical or traditional, we have all these terms, but, but actually liturgy, every church has a liturgy. Because liturgy literally is the form of worship in a church. And, and so every church has a liturgy. But as I was studying this this week, what I learned is that the, the word, our English word liturgy, is derived from a Greek word that means the work Of the people. Did you know that? Liturgy, the form of worship that happens in a church, comes from a word that means the work of the people. It's not the work of the worship band, it's not the work of the pastor, the speaker, the sermonizer, it's the work of the people. In other words, worship is active, not passive, right? and sometimes when we, when we have, when we're real reserved and and all of these things we we try to you know the casual worship movement was sort of like just come sit down enjoy it we're going to have the room exactly the right temperature we're going to serve you a latte bring it into the sanctuary it's all good casual 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 there's no you don't have to do anything you know we're going to have the words up on the screen if you want to but don't feel obligated and, and and that's okay and there's room for that and there's space for that and all of that but 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 liturgy is the work of the people. Worship is not this passive thing. We come to church to worship. We call it a worship service because it's service to the Lord, right? We come and we participate in, in the Lord. Now, let me give you another thing interesting. Worship is not a spectator sport. In fact, when in the Old Testament, God gives very specific instructions on how to build his temple. Like if you want good devotional nighttime reading, start reading about all the instructions of the temple. Like how long this should be, how tall, how wide, how all of this, chapter, 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 instructions on the temple. You know what is never mentioned in the temple instructions? Seating. In other words, there's no indication that when Israel came to the temple to worship, that they sat. It's every indication, in fact, that they stood up the entire time. Amen. That's what I have to do. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? It's because standing is what? A posture of honor. I'm coming into the house of God, the temple of God. I don't need any seats, baby, because I'm going to stand because I'm in the presence of the Lord. and I'm going to stand out of honor. I honestly considered removing the seats for a sunday just to see how it went but i decided not to and you can thank me later so so we go all out thirdly i'm almost done is celebrate diversity when you come to church i want you to see the worth of god come ready to ascribe worth of god i want you to go all out but then i want you to celebrate diversity uh Worship in in the heavens is multi. It's multicultural. It's multigenerational. It's multilingual. It's all of these things. But we tend to narrow our focus of what worship really is into kind of a pretty narrow lane sometimes. And um, Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10 And then they sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And you have made them this this potpourri of, of people. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our Lord and they will reign on the earth. And, and so... In the heavenly realms, in the worship, there's this recognition that God is, is forming one people from every tribe and every language and every color and every sort of thing that you can think of that divides us in Christ unites us. And I talked a lot about this uh, a few weeks ago in a uh, sermon on immigration. We just come out of a series where we were talking about political things from a faith perspective. So I won't spend a lot of time here, but what I want to do is actually show you two examples of multicultural uh, worship, worship different than ours. And uh, I, I want to show them to you and then I want to tell you about them. Uh, and, and so these are both from uh, the country of Africa and, or, or these are both from the continent of Africa, Africa and uh, they are both from churches of the Nazarene from the same denomination uh, as our church. And so uh, here's, here's a, a clip of, of worship. These are short too, uh, about a minute each. Uh, these are. This is uh, worship in the Holumba Church of the Nazarene. That clip, um, I'm not sure what was wrong with the video there, but in Hollumba, Church of the Nazarene, uh, there is about an hour and a half of music before, uh, you can go ahead and leave the lights off, I'll be done in just a second, we'll show the next clip. Uh, There was an hour and a half of music before uh, anything else took place, an hour and a half of just worship and singing and you saw kind of one group there and they were doing this call back and and forth and that's really common in african culture but you also saw a lot of spectators well everyone in that room during that hour and a half was a group that came up and sang and did a call and response so it wasn't like there was just that one group singing for an hour and a half it was the liturgy it was the work of the people Uh, in that that worship service. And so let me show you another one. Uh, This is, uh, the video quality is is also poor on this one, Uh, but uh, this is from the Livingstone Church of the Nazarene. All right, so um, I, got this, I got these videos from my brother, who's also a pastor at a Nazarene church and uh, recently returned from Africa and visited these churches. So he was there doing the filming. And uh, to tell you a little bit about this context, this is a song they also sang for, for a long, long time. Uh, but this is a song that was talking about taking Jesus to all the tribes or all the nations. Uh, of the world, and so they would actually call out the different tribes, and anyone that was an ancestor of that tribe would go and then and then do that dance while they were singing. So it was a, it was a song about taking Jesus to all the tribes of the world, and so they would call these tribes, and people would go and they'd dance and they'd sing if they were part of that, and then they'd call out the next tribe and they would go and sing and dance, uh, and then quite unexpectedly at the very end they called out Magunzo, Magunzo, which means the white man. And there were two white men, my brother and someone else from the trip. And so my brother had to actually go and, like, give a little jig, you know, and like in front of this, this congregation. And, and uh, he was, you know, he did it. Bless his heart. And I wish that I had a video of that to show you, uh, but I don't. So just to give you a flavor of what worship around the world can look like, it isn't always electric guitar, really nice sound system, Lights, fog, whatever it is, in the North American church. And in fact, in the first clip, that was a homemade drum, a homemade guitar, and a homemade bass guitar. Made by their own hands, not purchased, just taking the materials of the land and fashioning an instrument out of it. And so worship looks very diverse around the world. And we need to recognize that. And then worship is multi-generational. Psalm 148 says, young men and women, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord. And I would want to say this in closing, that the church most properly reflects biblical worship when it worships together with all generations. And that is why we will never offer a contemporary and or traditional service because these are effectively means of breaking up the generations. What we will do as a church is be who God has called us to be. And play the kind of music that God has called us to play. And to preach the kind of sermons that God has called us to preach. And we will do it in unity as one with all the generations. And that is why that, I, that is also why I love that the elementary E-kids come in to worship with us. And they see all the generations ahead of them worshiping God. And I can't wait till my own daughters are old enough to be in the elementary school where they get to come in and under... The leadership of the e staff see all of you raising your hands, singing out, and offering praises to God so that we're worshiping with all the generations on a Sunday morning. And not everybody is always going to be totally pleased with whatever is being played or whatever volume or whatever instruments, but it really isn't about that now, is it? I hope, church, that you would come ready to ascribe worth to God, and to go all out, and to celebrate diversity. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit Roadfc.org and click online giving.